Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. It sure is. Very good. I'm glad that we agreed. <laughs> How are you today, Josh? That was not an awkward intro at all. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be back. I'm recording in a different room to what I normally record in. In, in the spare room rather than the lounge room. Yeah, nice. Fun. It looks uh, luxurious. It looks uh, professional from this angle. Um, I don't know. With the door behind me. With the yeah, door behind really, you. Really pro. <laughs> you know what I've been loving in this whole, like in the midst of this whole COVID-19 thing is um, on the local uh, nightly news, which I don't watch that often, but like I was watching last night and there was a sports journalist who was just doing a bunch of sports updates about the NRL and a bunch of other things. Uh, yep. I don't know if you saw this, but I can't remember which other was like one news on here in New Zealand. Anyway, um, the guy in the studio was talking to this guy, uh, this other journalist who was in his home and he was in front of this bookcase, much like what I've got behind me. And every time they do like a, a segment with this particular guy, they always like make mention of his bookcase. And so every time <laughs> I look, there's like, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting looking book. Or oh, what's that? Like, that's a weird title. So now you're seeing like the insight into all these random people's homes. It's, it's quite nice. <laughs> whenever I, um, okay. All right. Well, whenever I look at, okay. So this is going to be hard. If you, if you guys are just listening, this isn't going to make as much sense, but you know, there is the video. You can watch this on YouTube if you just watch this part. But there's one book I've had my eye on because I think I know what it is in your bookshelf, Jesse. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Let's, let's figure so out it's to like, if you know what it is. It's it's underneath that stuffed dog. And I think it's Philip Yancey's, uh, the uh, what, the one about Grace, the yeah. blue and the white one. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. I'll, I'll I, grab the book. I'll grab the book. Shall I? Yeah. All right. I'm taking off my earbuds. I'm going to grab the book. Okay. Grab the book. Did I get it right? All right. Earbuds are coming back on. Wait, I'm in the wrong wrong ear. All right. Oh, weird. Okay. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, do you think that Josh got it right? Did he get it right? If you're watching the video, you, you're going to find out in just a second. Three, <gasps> two, one. Ta-da! Yeah! <laughs> All right. Philip Yancey. Yay, me. What's so amazing about Grace? Good book. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't read. I've read chunks of it. I've, I haven't actually read the whole thing. I've also read chunks of it. That's it's very bad. But yes, alongside um, the Jesus I never knew, which I think I have a copy of somewhere, but I don't know where it is. Cool. But yes. Well, that was that was an unexpected segment. <laughs> Tune Guess back in next book. week for uh, what's on Jesse's bookshelf, part two. <laughs> I must say, uh, I have some. I have some quite interesting books when I first set this up like for me to record in front of this, I looked at some of the books and I was like, ooh, I don't know if that's going to be okay because there's some <laughs> random books here. So I moved a bunch of them to a bookcase over there. Like all my, I guess I'm just going to give it away now, all my Game of Thrones books, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> one about I, I knew they were missing when I was looking at your shelf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but then I replaced it with a bunch of my board games, which I I think is more interesting than some of my books. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe different. It's different. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking a bit about um, the current crisis that we're in. Um, not really focusing so much on the crisis, but more on the responses that we've seen. Mm. Yes, um, because yeah, there Jesse, have been... do you want to word that a little bit better than me? No, absolutely. You've worded it well. Because I think that crises or crises, um, they have a way of revealing um, our motivation. Um, I, there's a great quote, which I don't know where it comes from, but it's that adversity does not build character, rather it reveals it. Um, and I think you could say the same thing about crises. Um, the fact of the matter is we're all in the same boat uh, worldwide. Different countries have reacted differently. And so certain countries are better off than others. Um, here in New Zealand, I mean, I'm quite amazed that we've had, as of the recording of this video, 1,400 cases of COVID-19, 900 and something of which have been recovered. So yeah, I think yesterday, uh, April the 20th, when um, our prime minister announced that we were going from level four lockdown to level three uh, next week, I think mm-hmm. of yesterday, April 20th, we only had nine cases, which is yeah. crazy. Um, yeah. It's so nice to feel like we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we're coming out the other side, sort of, we're starting to. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, it's finally like, you know, it just felt like you're just in this like pit. Yeah. But the yeah, crazy thing good. is though, you know, here in New Zealand, we're doing great, but in America, for instance, I think America right now is kind of the poster child for really when the excrement hits the fan when it comes to mismanagement of of this crisis, really in a bad spot. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today and about how different Christian leaders particularly have responded to this and how it really reveals what your true motivations are when it comes to ministry and leadership and power. Mm. So definitely some interesting discussion points for today. Uh, and so, yeah. But before we do that, of course, we have to look at something really important. That is the question of the week. <laughs> All right. I'm waiting. I'm waiting with bated breath, Josh. What is it this time? Well, that's good that you're waiting with bated breath because something that makes me wait with bated breath is pizza. Oh, right? beautiful. I do love a good pizza, uh, especially now that it is possible for someone like me to get a gluten and dairy-free pizza that is still a pizza. It's, yep. We're living in blessed times. Uh, Hashtag blessed. Timeline. Yep. Um, so the question is, and anybody can answer this, we'd love to hear your responses if you uh, want to message us about it on Instagram or on Facebook or something. What is something you don't like on your pizza? Mm. Yeah. Which is, I feel like it's a very negative question. But if I say what you do like on your pizza, like we'll be here for hours. Yeah. So, like, what's <laughs> so like one things. thing that you really don't like on your pizza? Well, I think, I think that definitely, it definitely varies. Now, if anybody knows me, like my wife or my close friends, they'll know that I'm fairly plain and boring when it comes to my pizza. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely more of a um, fan of like the Neapolitan style pizza, which is, you know, just tomatoes, mozzarella, basil, salt and pepper, maybe maybe some garlic, but possibly not. 
When you said Neapolitan pizza, the first thing I thought of was like those ice cream ice tubs cream. with the chocolate yes. <laughs> vanilla and strawberry. I'm like, oh. I didn't know they made pizza like that. <laughs> <laughs> you Philistine! <laughs> Sorry, dude. Uncultured swine over here. <laughs> well, I mean, it, maybe it came, comes from Naples. I don't know. But like Naples and Italy is where traditionally they'll say that pizza first came from. Although I think think it's probably more likely that it came from Sicily um, because in Sicily, (laughs) they have a a bread called spincione, which is kind of like pizza, but not. Anyway, I think it's whatever. So Neapolitan pizza is more traditional. Tomato, mozzarella, basil, salt and pepper, maybe garlic, though I think some would say no garlic, and maybe like a sprinkling of Parmesan cheese cooked in a very high heat oven. So... When it comes to pizza toppings, like I'm not super into like barbecue chicken or even like beef or anything else like that. I like I like it simple. I like it plain. Hmm. But if I had to pick, and this is going to sound a little bit cliched, um, I would say I don't think that fruit can go on pizza, specifically pineapple. Wait a second. Wait a second, Jesse. Okay. Okay. Tomato doesn't tomato count. Tomato is a fruit. Tomato Jesse. does not count. Tomato is a fruit. Tomato does <laughs> not count. <laughs> you cannot say you don't think fruit should go on a pizza and then say that you only like tomato on pizza. That is ridiculous. I think I think classifying tomato as a fruit, especially in this situation, is problematic. And I think you. I, it, <sighs> All right, whatever. All right, I'll just say. All right, I'll I'll I'll, I'll retract. I'll retract <laughs> that. Pineapple does not deserve to be on pizza, and it uh, is not because I don't like pineapple. I do like pineapple. My problem with pineapple on pizza. Look, I know Hawaiian pizza exists. Fine, I've had it once or twice. Whatever, it's fine. But the reason I don't like pineapple on pizza is because pineapple is mostly water, and when you are putting toppings on a pizza okay if the toppings have a lot of water content they tend to make the pizza soggy the only hawaiian pizzas i've ever had have been so so soggy (laughs) because pineapple is mostly water if you want to have a good pizza don't have a pizza that is basically mush you may as well be eating pudding (laughs) All right, a pizza is pizza. It is not a bread and butter pudding. Pudding is pudding. Pizza is pizza. You're such. You're a pizza gatekeeper. That's what you are. I am. I am. Of all the things to gatekeep, I will gatekeep pizza till the day I die. Well, okay, you're gonna hate my answer. All right, great, great. Because Jesse, I don't know if I've. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before. Okay, but I've been to Italy, right? Yes, I went to Venice for yes. a European music study tour. And I had pizza. Yep. In Venice. Yep. And, okay, there weren't many flavors available on the menu, which is fair enough. They've gone for the more traditional. And I will, I think I got, I'm pretty sure I got a, no, I got a margarita. Okay. I think I was like, I just want to try it, you know, straight. Yep. And it was such a bland pizza. (laughs) It was. Like, I, I don't mind margarita pizzas, you know, yeah, but sure, sure. this was like the blandest margarita pizza I've ever had in my life. I had a few more pizzas while I was there. I didn't like 
any of them. <laughs> That's so funny. A, because they don't cut them for you. Right. They leave them whole, which you, is they problematic give you a knife in itself. And fork. Yeah. And B, they're just no there just wasn't enough flavor for my and i know i know like this is how pizzas were originally supposed to be i am not arguing that and that's fine but i have come from a place of different pizzas my taste buds have adapted to those pizzas yeah these were not like the pizzas i'm used to and i didn't like them i mean they were okay but i just didn't yeah i also had spaghetti there and it was the worst spaghetti bolognese i've ever had in my life well funnily enough Spaghetti bolognese doesn't actually come from Italy. It comes from New York. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I wish I knew that. I probably wouldn't have ordered it then. I w- there you go. I would say the majority of pizzas that most of us eat in the Western world, New York, they're New York pizzas. They're not They're not Italian pizzas. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's when I realized I like my pizza with, you know, different stuff on it. Sure. That's, that's how I am. I used to like getting barbecue chicken pizzas and stuff like that. But I will say the one thing I don't think should ever be on pizza is like anything that comes from the sea. Like I've had tuna on pizza before. Right. Doesn't work out. Uh, like anchovies. Mm. Not into it. Yeah. I'm not into any sort of fish or sea life yeah. on pizza. I would be willing to try if somebody made like a, a pizza with like seaweed on it. I would be willing to try that. I think that could be good because I do like seaweed. I'm like I'm a, I, I don't I don't know how to process that to be honest. Seaweed on a pizza, how would yeah. that even work? Well, you make the pizza and then you put seaweed on <laughs> cool, it. I bro. think that's how it would work cool, in bro. general. Do you have it with wasabi and pickled um, pickled ginger as well? Okay, probably I wouldn't have it with. I don't like wasabi. Okay, uh, but I would be willing to try pickled ginger as well. That'd be fun, like a Japanese pizza. Japanese pizza. Wow. Yeah. Maybe some like QP mayo on it or something like that. Yeah. A bit of, bit of, bit of avocado. Yeah. Bit of shoyu. Mmm. Yeah. Mm. Someone should get onto this. If somebody could uh, make this for us, I would try it. It sounds like an abomination. I'm just going to put it out there. It sounds like an abomination, but it might be a tasty abomination. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You know what else is an ab- abomination? Deep fried sushi. But I've had it and I kind of enjoyed it. It's huh. like, it's like a straight sushi, like roll of sushi. With like tuna or something in it, and it's been deep fried and battered. Wow. It was an abomination, but I was like, well, this is the most Western abomina- abomination ever. <laughs> I'm going to eat it. And I did. Did I enjoy it? Not really, but I'm glad I did. Mm. That's so funny. That is so funny. No, I've never even <laughs> thought. But I guess I guess if you can eat something, you can deep fry it. <laughs> we live in a flavor fusion kind of world, Jesse. It is true. We do. Every every food needs to be fused with another at some point in our history. <laughs> Everything. Does it though? Does it? <laughs> yes, at least once. At least once. I guess I guess there's no way to know if it's good if you don't if you don't try it. Exactly. Like the first person who exploded a a, a corn kernel and then realized you can make popcorn. True. Have we not tried blowing up any other seeds to find out if there are more kinds of pop things we could make? All right. Well, this is your homework, dear listener. Um, get some seeds. Doesn't matter. Just apple seeds, pumpkin seeds, sunflower yeah. seeds. Just throw them in a fire. See what happens. Yeah. Who knows? We could have, we could be on the verge of discovering that there's not just popcorn. There's also pop pumpkin and pop, <laughs> pop apple. We were on the and- verge of greatness. We were this close. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know. I think, you know, what, what, what are we missing out here? Mm. M- missing out on. Yeah. These are the big questions I stay up awake. This is, uh, night this is about. quality content that people tune in to burn the haystack for. <laughs> 
feel like I feel like the question of the week has turned into an entire podcast on just surrealist food nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Not the worst thing we've ever done. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We could be talking about drunk pigeons or Star Wars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Only true fans will understand. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's um let's get on to the stuff that people probably clicked on this episode okay. to listen to. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in to the question of the week, guys. Well, we love you. <laughs> well, buckle yourself in, people, because we're going on quite a ride today. Um, no, so it's funny. We actually, before we before we we talked about this episode, we actually talked about this as a team, so giving you a little bit of a sneak peek. And we thought it probably would be a good idea to not touch on COVID-19 too much. But then all this stuff started to happen. Um, as people began to respond to the crisis in the Christian world. And I started to take uh, uh, notice of what was happening. I started to pay attention to some of the responses from these Christian leaders, uh, some of whom I'd never heard of before, actually, but some of them who I had heard of um, either famously or notoriously. And there have been a number of points in the news the last, I'd say, three, four weeks that have made me really just really start thinking about our motivation uh, in ministry and how this crisis has actually revealed those motivations to the world and so that's what we're going to talk about today so that that's basically my thesis is my thesis is that covid-19 has revealed the motivations of political entertainment and spiritual leaders all over the world Um, We've seen this in the way that different countries have handled the crisis. Um, We've seen this in the way that um, famous celebrities have responded to to this Mm. thing, whether they raise money for it or if they collectively sing Imagine um, in bad keys. And uh, yeah, Uh all this sort of it's a lot of it's really great. and A lot of it's really cringe. Um, So, yeah, I remember seeing a a video I'd. I don't remember exactly which celebrity it was, but they were just crying about how hard isolation's been and they were crying like <laughs> within their huge multi-million dollar mansion about it and I'm just like, I can't, you know, like I don't hate rich people, I don't hate celebrities, but I can't deal with this. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Anyway. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, I know it's hard, but it's hard for everyone. Like it's not particularly hard for you. And I mean, the more the more expensive your house, I feel like the more... Maybe the, the easier isolation would be like... Bro, if I had a tennis court and a swimming pool and a home gym and a, a home theatre and gelato machines and paid staff, I would be set. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see the outside world for, for weeks, maybe even months. Yeah. yeah, but like then there are people who like have three kids and they're cooped up in like a one bedroom apartment yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, like I feel like it's harder for them. Like obviously that's not a perfectly linear scale. No, but, but like, those are the two ends of the scale. There's, yeah, yeah. there's like, I'm stuck alone in my multi-million dollar mansion and look at me, I'm so sad. And then there's the person who maybe doesn't even have a job anymore because they're on minimum wage. Maybe they're getting a government benefit and they have kids to feed and they have mounting bills and rent is due. And like, that's, you know, those, yeah. Yeah, you it's can't a crazy time those two. for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think how how um, different people all around the world have responded, and we live in such an American centric 
um, world right now. Uh, so we're going to be spending most of our time with Americans. So if you are American and it feels like we're bashing on you, I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> I honestly have tried to look for a lot of different um, Christian leaders' responses all around the world. But it just so happens that the most striking examples of the hypocrisy and some of the bad motivations are Americans. So I apologize in advance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, we will say there have been some good responses too. And we will touch on that too. Exactly. So like it's, it's not, yeah, it's not all bad news. So, you know, don't, don't get, don't get too down in the dumps. Yeah. Um, so... I think probably one of the best places to start is with the the clickbaitiest clickbait prosperity preacher in the world, um, and that is our dear friend. Everybody loves him, um, Mr. Kenneth <laughs> Copeland. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you know that name, you know the infamy and the controversy that surrounds it. Um, if you don't know who Kenneth Copeland is. Um, first of all, you're very lucky. Uh, second of all, <laughs> you're about to know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the first time I heard about him was in that that video about him with some other televangelist. Yes, explaining why they need private jets, and then he was saying how like it's like going on commercial airlines. It's like being in a tube full of demons. You know, yep. I'm like, aren't these the people that you're like meant to be reaching? And- Ah, it yep. was just it was horrible it was a horrible video to watch i yeah i was oh yeah i think that yeah. was the first time i was introduced to him as well and then as well there was the follow-up um interview where a journalist i think tracked him down to his his personal airport or something and interviewed him about that and yeah the the sort of demonize and the just the craziness that that sort of he he the vibe he puts off is is just insane um okay i haven't seen that yeah it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty wild anyway so you might have also heard um (laughs) him for another more humorous and uh, not quite as egregious reason um during one of his broadcasts in his his huge church with only four other people uh on screen at least who repeated everything he said he blew the coronavirus away <laughs> physically yeah. and i i don't know if you if you haven't seen the clip go and watch it but it's hilarious because he's there preaching on, in his church to what is usually a crowd full of people who are just lapping up every word that he says, who say amen, who are clapping, who are repeating everything he says. That's the way he likes to preach. He gets on stage and he yells something and everybody else repeats it. And it's just this, it's this dynamic that that he's cultivated. But it's really mm. hilarious seeing him try to replicate this dynamic with just four other people who are standing next to him awkwardly. <laughs> just... And then the moment when he blows the coronavirus away, the four other guys simultaneously also blow. It is the weirdest thing ever. It is the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. I mean, I've seen strange like prayer meetings in my life, but that's definitely, that's definitely topping the list. I think for me, like, even if I saw that not on TV, like if I just saw that in any prayer meeting, I probably would be like, okay, this is, um, this is different. (laughs) it's a nice way to put it yeah um but one of the other reasons that you may have heard of kenneth copeland recently is because um 
he was doing a, another broadcast with um, some of his friends and, I don't know, employees or whatever. And he basically said, uh, if you've lost your job, if you are wondering where your next um, rent payment's going to come from, don't stop tithing. And he made this quite clear. Um, whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. And we can, you can go and look at the clip and we might link, we'll link it in the show notes. But basically he says, if you're getting laid off at work, if you are unsure about how you're going to be able to afford your bills, all that sort of stuff, don't stop tithing. And Kenneth Copeland's model is, is pretty simple. His sort of gospel is, is it's, it's classic prosperity gospel with a very strange twist. His idea is that if you continue to be faithful, tithing to your church, to your pastor, to your whatever ministry, and the natural implication is that you should definitely tithe to his because his, his, his I don't know, level of influence with God is higher because he's special in some way. And so therefore there's going to be more benefit. But basically it's the whole idea of plant a seed and God's going to multiply it and give me money. God will give you money back, health, wealth, well-being, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and so his basic call to his congregation at this time is to continue to, to pay um, him. Um, and in the midst of this, he actually said that God t- told him that he's going to receive um, $300 million in donations this year. Um, what? Yeah, this is in the midst of it. This is not before the lockdown, the coronavirus thing. This is in the midst of it. He said that people are going to continue to give, that God is going to provide for them, and that he is going to get paid $300 million this year. He is going to be paid three hundred million. Yes, or his church. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly uh, how it works, but that's that's well, what he said. Okay, like I can understand. Okay, I can understand churches still saying, like you know, hey, in the crisis, still keep the principle of giving. You know, even if the amount changes and all that kind of stuff, like it's it's important to keep your like your principles. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, to say to someone like, if you've lost your job, you know, <laughs> like, like to directly say that, I think that's pretty, that's pretty irresponsible. Yeah. I think like it's, I don't know, you know, because obviously like churches still need support as well during this time. But I don't know, like surely, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you you think you you think your level of measuredness and like carefulness about how you say things, you would have to like beef that up a bit knowing what time we're living in. Like you you'd think that he would be at least a little more careful with how he would say things, but the way that Kenneth Copeland operates it's it's like a very classical Pentecostal um preacher mentality of you know, the preacher has a direct line to God and so therefore you should respect him and you should mm-hmm. just do what he says because his level of credibility is that much higher than the average person, which is obviously really dangerous for yeah. reasons that should be clear to everybody, um, priesthood of all believers, all that sort of thing. Um, even when it comes to Jesus's leadership in the Gospels, 
you know, his continual call is for humbling of oneself. And we see that, you know, in the Last Supper where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The idea is not that just because you are special, you're a preacher, you're a, a Christian leader, it doesn't mean that you have a, a higher level of um, spiritual authority or connection to God, perhaps is the best way to say it. You you don't have more of you don't have more of God's phone time. You don't have you know more access to Him than the average person. That's just not how it works. Um, yeah. Perhaps spiritual authority, but certainly not spiritual um, access. You know. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and this this is really hard because. Um, in the midst of this crisis, uh, we're both pastors. We, we've been seeing and we've been keeping track of what's going on. And this is not, you know, necessarily true for every church. But in this crisis, churches are receiving less tithe and less offering. Um, that's just how it works. As much as many of our churches today have set up online and we prefer online giving, the reality is... Most people still pay their tithes and their offerings in the offering plate on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning. That's just how hmm. people work. So many churches are feeling the crunch. But yeah. I think it's interesting in the midst of this, um, you know, you could probably say this before the, the, the crisis, the current crisis, but I think... Definitely what this crisis has illustrated is where Kenneth Copeland's priorities are at. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what the business model entails. Yeah. But the thing is, you'd hope people within it would see it, but probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. I think the level of brainwashedness and or at least just simple, we're just going to go along with what he says because we're getting something out of it. He's getting something out of it. Mm. It's like the loyal soldier within... It's like, ah, oh, no, I'm sure they're doing it with good meat. You know, it's all for good. It's totally. all for good. Yeah. yeah. Stay loyal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one example. Um, there, there, there are two other examples of um, how this has revealed our motivations that um, I'm going to talk about. There is, um, there was a, a, a minister, a bishop, actually, Bishop um, Gerald Glenn, who was unfortunately um, in the midst of this whole thing, uh, he was a Virginia bishop, and on March 22, he got his congregation to stand to prove how many people there were at his church venue. So, the government and the uh, the federal government and the state government put a ban on on gatherings over a certain amount of people, uh, ten over ten people, and in defiance of that, he continued hosting services. In fact, he. As I said just before, um, during his service, he got his congregation to stand on the live stream to prove how many people were there, you know, saying, and he, here's what he said. I firmly believe that God is larger than this dreaded virus. You can quote me on that, repeating it a second time to clap, saying that people are healed in this church. And he's not the only one. There are a number of, of preachers who throughout this, um, throughout this, this, government-mandated lockdown of, of gatherings continued to host people in their churches and continued to, you know, gather large crowds of people in their services. The, the tragic thing in this story, unlike the other stories, there was a Florida preacher who was arrested and later got out on bail. There was another guy who wasn't arrested but was fined. 
Um, the tragic thing in this story is that this guy didn't actually suffer any of those penalties. He got the virus and he died um, oh. just a few uh, weeks ago, April 11th. Um, his family and his church announced that with an exceedingly sorrowful and heavy heart announced that um, Bishop Glenn had passed away a week a week after contact, contracting the virus. He was in his 70s, so he was he was an old fella. Um, yeah, apparently definitely had, one of the more at-risk category people yeah. at that age. And apparently he had some pre-existing conditions as well, though I don't know what they yeah. were. Um, but it's just... One of the other things that this has illustrated to me is the fact that a lot of the time we misconstrue personal freedoms and standing up for freedom of religion, freedom of speech and all that sort of stuff. We misconstrue and we kind of conflate that with actually being responsible. Um, Mm. And many people, many people that I know on Facebook and around the world um, have actually stood up and have tried to uh, oppose government's decisions to shutting down large gatherings. And almost every time something tragic or something preventable has happened as a result of it. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, you've seen this just as much as I had, hey? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think... Maybe it's just me, but I haven't paid as much attention to people... Like in defiance of it. I mean, I've seen the current protests and stuff yeah. in the US going on like in, um, I think in Michigan and... Colorado. Yeah. People standing like with guns and everything. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but from churches, I have seen I have seen a few people like the odd Facebook post here and there just like, God is bigger than this. We should be trusting more. And I'm like, ah... You know what I mean? Like I'm still trusting God. I'm just acting responsibly within that. Because there's also, there's a principle of stewardship, you know, as well, like good stewardship as well as a principle of trust. Yeah. So it's 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 not that difficult in my mind, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like what, what, what are the numbers in the US? Something at the moment, I think it's something like 40,000 people have passed away from this. Yeah, it's, it's insane. I mean, yeah. you compare that to... You compare that to New Zealand or even Australia, you know, it's mm-hmm. you take out the per capita sort of thing as well, because obviously different levels of population, but just the way that it's been handled in the US is is terrible. And I'm not saying that to criticize um, anybody in particular. I'm saying that to just express how tragic and preventable many of those deaths and the deaths that are going to follow um, are really yeah and i think a a big result i think the 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 saddest part is that a lot of people have been sort of a victim to like um for lack of a better term fake news yeah misinformation Uh, there's just been a lot of misinformation spread around yes covid19 and it's resulted i think in people not taking it as seriously as they should have well first place i mean to begin with um covid19 was a democratic hoax right to damage the president that was that was the first thing and then right. it was and then it was no worse than the common flu and mm. then it was serious after people started to die from it right so we've gone from this sliding scale of this thing isn't serious at all or no we've even, we've gone even further than that we've gone from this thing isn't even real 
to yeah. this thing isn't serious at all to maybe we should be serious about this and then holy holy moly this thing is out of control so yeah and I, <laughs> I, I and i think this this comes back to churches and christians have a responsibility to uphold and seek truth yes despite fake news despite misinformation we have a responsibility to be good stewards um, even with our information and with truth to actually yeah. search what are the real facts here in everything and that's difficult like I'm not going to mm. say I do that well uh, but I'm just I, I know it's something I need to I need to be conscious of and work on mm. yeah um, yeah and it's sad when you see in this people have not prioritized that yeah as well as prioritize. <laughs> Um, you know, like even the principle of give to Caesar what is Caesar's, like the, what Jesus said in the Bible. It's like you've, you know, you've got to, you've got to, be, you've got to comply and help out, you know, your government. Yeah. Um, especially in times like this, like this is, this is a a, a world pandemic. You mm. know, like mm. that's crazy. Like this is this is something. This is the time when we put put differences aside. Let's all just work together, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, the U.S. government right now, different governments are handling this differently, but the U.S. government is um, aiming to tackle the economic downturn that this is going to uh, incur by giving uh, their citizens a between $1,200 and $2,000 stimulus check um, just to help keep the economy afloat. Whether it will, I don't know. I'm not an economist, but that's what the U.S. government has decided to do. And in response to this, a I'd never heard of this guy before, but I know all about him now because I've done a lot of research about him. And um, yeah, so that you don't have to. But his name is <laughs> his name anyway is Tony Spell, and he came out a few just a few days ago with what he is calling the Tony or Pastor Tony Spell stimulus challenge. What do you think the stimulus challenge is? Is it to, you know, use the stimulus stimulus check to um, support your local economy? Um, is it to, you know, be generous to your neighbors and your friends to help people in need? No. His stimulus challenge is to donate your stimulus check to evangelists, missionaries, and if you if you can't do that or you don't want to do that, donate it to his church. Donate your stimulus challenge to his church. The entire thing. The entire stimulus check. Oh. <laughs> A noble cause, if ever oh. I heard one. Why? Why would you say that to people? You know, why would you make that challenge? It's just... <laughs> oh. So this comes back to this is this comes back to what we were talking about before. Um, he originally didn't want to close his church because God is bigger than the virus and God can heal people, whatever. But it's becoming more and more apparent that the reason he didn't want to close his church is because he relies on the donations of his congregants. And if people are not coming to church, they are much less likely to tithe and give their offerings. Offerings and tithes which he relies on to maintain his lifestyle and to maintain the balance book of his organization. He hasn't said that, but yeah, if you yeah. look up his net worth and you look up what his ministry is doing, that becomes 
painfully obvious. Oh, that's so... Oh, it's so frustrating to hear. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. So, he was on a local news channel um, a few days ago now. Uh, and he defended this. The the news anchor actually um, took him to task for a variety of things, including the fact that um, not just not is not just is the U.S. government um, giving uh, these stimulus checks to individual people, but they're actually offering financial help for nonprofit organizations precisely because of this reason. Precisely because if you're not taking in offerings and tithes, if you're not getting donations to keep your um, your overheads uh, moving and and to keep everything uh, ticking along, they're actually willing to help you. And he just said, "No, we don't want any government help." We don't want anybody to, you know, we don't want the government to intervene. We don't want the government to interfere with anything that we're doing. But he's more than willing to take people's money that the government gave them. So try mm-hmm. and figure that out. <laughs> um, it, boggles, it boggles my mind, the, yeah. the audacity and the just complete lack of empathy and greed that some of these these leaders are portraying it's just insane yeah that's oh, oh it makes me makes me a bit sick to be honest you know <laughs> like <laughs> just thinking about it i'm like why why like it really gives a bad name to all christianity because people see this and they're like ah oh, you know they just want your money and i'm like well i can't really defend their actions it does seem like that doesn't it you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah um yeah. But like, how do you even begin to explain to somebody that, oh, no, like, you know, not every church is structured the same. Not everybody has the same. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, well we're going to talk a little bit about what I think is a more healthy Christian response to this thing. And we've seen this illustrated from a lot of Christian leaders. But before we do that, one thing that is this has really made an impact on me is the fact that this whole crisis has revealed the motivations of so many leaders around the world, Christian, spiritual, entertainment, political, otherwise. But it's also made me really um, question my own motivations in in ministry Mm. and in leadership. Because what's become painfully obvious is that pastors like Tony Spell and Kenneth Copeland, they've built an empire, multi-million dollar, billion dollar empire, for themselves and for their loved ones and the people in their circle. And they've built this empire off the back of generous, ongoing donations from everyday people like you and me. And when that stops, the empire crumbles, which is why they are doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying, because Mm. they don't want to sacrifice the empire that they've built because of this crisis, they're doing everything that they can to maintain their bottom line, to maintain their lifestyle, to maintain the the life that they're used to. And what's really illustrated to me is that there are churches out there who really <laughs> they they rely on that, you know. And if this if this continues for much longer, I think we're going to see. A lot of church closures. We're going to see a lot of congregations broken up. We're going to see a lot of pastors having to drop out of ministry. Um, in our own denomination, 
in um, different parts of the world, pastors are currently being furloughed because their uh, governing org- organization, their governing body above them can't actually afford to pay them anymore. Yeah. Um, and they're not even going to these levels of guilting or manipulating people into giving them money. They're just recognizing that the tithe dollars aren't coming in as they were and they didn't have enough uh, a, of a buffer in their bank account and so they're just having to make those hard calls and that's really tragic. Um, but what it's really illustrated to me is that perhaps as we emerge on the other side of this crisis, because eventually we will, what is ministry going to look like? What is church going to look like? Can we, I mean, this kind of goes back to that conversation that we had, big church versus small church, but can we afford to have so many big churches with huge budgets and, you know, all that sort of stuff? Is that is that a responsible thing for the church mm. to maintain post-COVID-19? Yeah, that's interesting. And I will say, some of the big churches have had some of the best responses yeah. to this whole thing. You know, like Life Church uh, with Craig Gishel, Um, they shut down way earlier than what they needed to and just went totally online. Um, they already had the infrastructure set up for that as well. And, you know, they've been really good about that. Um, and even, um, you know, Hillsong was similar in, in Australia and, um, you know, and there are other churches yeah. in the world. But... Um, and even like doing really generous things like Hillsong College currently, like you can do a free because of this whole thing and the time you can do a totally free um, six week introduction to the New Testament course, like through their college, which is like what you do at the beginning of the bachelor's degree that you could do there. So like, I'm really impressed that they would just freely offer that, Yeah, you know, that costs money and everything to put together. And they're like, Hey, here, you know, like people need this sort of stuff. And I know other churches are doing things, other stuff like that too. It's just, that's just the first one that comes to my mind. So like there have been a lot of these really big churches who have been more responsible with this. And I don't know, it's been really cool to see the differing responses, I think, and to see even acts of generosity during yeah. this time. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because you know, if you were just listening to this episode and, yeah, just listening to the examples that I use, and there are so many other examples that I chose not to include, it, yeah. does, it really makes you feel disheartened, you know, about, mm-hmm. about everything that's happening. It makes you feel like everything is, um, is, is bad and that, you know, everybody's doing the wrong thing, which is not true. Um, and I'm, I feel really blessed living where I am, the fact that we... Um, for the most part, every Christian church in New Zealand basically has been really supportive of our government's um, fairly restrictive measures that they've had to take. Um, and the fact that we've been able to really uh, halt this this thing here in our part of the world, uh, I think is, is a reflection of uh, how well everybody's cooperated together and taken responsibility together to, to beating COVID-19. Um, yeah, I, I think like the, the Adventist Church in Australia and New Zealand have both taken really good strides, like as in from an organisational level. Yeah, um, yeah to to be, play their part really well. And I, I don't know, for me, that's, I think it deserves a pat on the back, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like to ourselves. I, I like being a part of a, a church that's being responsible during this kind of time. Yeah, it feels good. Feels good, man. Feels good, man. Yeah, yeah. And I think it goes along with our health message. You know what I mean? Like, we have a health message. This is a health crisis, really. Yeah. So we're playing 
I think it's a really good part of us actually holding to like being really integral about the message that we have as a church. Yeah. So I was really interested to um, think through through this on a f- philosophical level, but also to think through this on a historical level, because the word that we've been using over and over again, um, unprecedented, um, mm. <laughs> we've never experienced anything like this. This is totally new. Yep. To us, that's true, but to the world, that's actually not true. Um, the world has endured and Christianity has endured pandemics, plagues and diseases um, far more devastating and far more lethal than, than yep. this one that we find ourselves in right now. Well, yeah, I was actually just listening to um, the Rob Rob Robcast, the Rob Bell podcast this morning. I know he's a heretic, whatever, but <laughs> I, I still enjoy his podcast. He's our uh, favorite heretic. Yeah. Um, but he was saying he was just reading this stuff about how pandemics come around every hundred years. Mm. And then he was saying, when was the Spanish one? Exactly 100 years ago. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of crazy. And then he was like listing all these ones. I don't know. I, like, I'm not a... I'm not a history guy, but I found it interesting. But I think part of the unprecedentedness of it is because of the the age we're living in is really new as well. Yeah. But the the idea of a pandemic and like an you know one that sweeps the globe that's not that new. Yeah, that's I, happened. I think yeah. I think it's part of that. If you if you've ever listened to um, this cultural moment with with Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer, you'll 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 kind of. I think about this around the, the the modern gospel sort of message of you know we've gotten so far as a, as a species as a culture and we've advanced so far and look at how um, look at look at how everything is just so much better than it was mm. technologically you know so, sociologically you know politically spiritually we're so we're just so advanced and I guess better than you know the people who have come before it's this idea yep. that we are kind of untouchable and that when something like this happens, it's kind of like breaking that um, modern gospel, um, 21st century gospel mold that um, we're actually not untouchable and actually Mm. things can happen that can disrupt this philosophical movement of thought. Um, Yeah, yeah. Oh, Just go and watch this. Just go and listen to this cultural moment, guys. It's great. (laughs) Ditch this podcast, go to that one. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) if I had to listen to Burn the Haystack or this cultural moment, I don't know which one I'd choose. Um, But anyway. Burn the Haystack, of course. Of course. Uh, Yep, sure. Continue. Anyway, (laughs) so unprecedented, yes and no. But having said that, I thought I found it interesting looking back to the history of Christianity and the way that Christians uh, throughout the ages have actually treated pandemics as they've responded to them and it's not like we don't have the writings you know it's lost to time no we actually do have advice we actually do have um some 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 really interesting learnings from different christian leaders through the ages who have encountered this sort of thing um one of them that i found really encouraging was actually martin luther um you might know martin luther as basically the guy who kicked off the protestant reformation um and he endured, he, he lived in a time where the, the bubonic plague, uh, commonly known as the Black Death or just plague, um, it was absolutely devastating Europe at the time. Interestingly enough, COVID-19, it has a 1% to 3% mortality rate. Um, experts, uh, historians reckon that the Black Death had about a 60 to 70% 
mortality rates. So, whoa, that's so crazy. I didn't know that. If you contracted it, you had a much higher chance of dying than of getting through it. It was crazy. Um, So just try and imagine COVID-19. If it had a 60 to 70% mortality rate, you know, I think we'd all be a lot more scared. Um, I don't want to imagine it. No, <laughs> no. Oh. Um, so even even having said that, um, Martin Luther, his response to the, the Black Death was interesting uh, because he strongly advocated for supporting the medical authorities of the time in caring for the sick and the, the suffering and, and not being afraid of the death that may come. Now, remember, the medieval era, medicine was absolutely not what it is today. Um, many of the advances in medicine, well, I'd say 99.9% of the advances in medicine that we benefit from today did not exist in the medieval era. Um, and even having said that, uh, Martin Luther, he actually promoted, if you had the means and the ability to help support sick and the suffering and the uh and, and the medical practitioners, the doctors and nurses. Well, they didn't really have nurses, but doctors and, and such forth. Now, if you hear that, you might think, oh, okay, so does that mean that I need to march into my local hospital and demand that they let me take care of all the sick COVID-19 patients? Um, <laughs> even though you would probably get arrested for doing that, I don't think that's the moral of the story here. And it's definitely not the moral that Martin Luther was trying to promote. He actually said that Christians should make their minds up on their own, not as a hard and fast rule, whether to stay or to go. If you lived in an area um, that had been hit by plague, you have the ability, you have the uh, onus to decide whether you want to stay in this area or you want to actually leave and try and find somewhere safe. It's not a rule for everybody. It's something that you have to decide on your own. But actually, when it comes to the moral of Martin Luther, um, one of the things that that I noticed, and I read a really great article about this um, in the news uh, ABC, um, was that actually his advocacy for supporting medical authorities and making the world safe is much more about taking responsibility for yourself and the things that you can control rather than actually intervening in the people around you in a way that actually takes control away from people who have the ability and the expertise to treat the disease. So it doesn't mean barging into the hospital demanding that you be put to work or whatever, What it does mean is that taking responsibility in your home, with the economy, with your neighbors and the people around you is of utmost importance. And that's the same principle that we've been following here in New Zealand of keeping in your bubble, keeping it local and doing what you can so that nurses and doctors can do what only they can. Mm. That is Martin Luther's advice. It's not to, you know... Stand up for your freedoms, stand up for your rights, continue to gather as a church. No, 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 don't do that. Because in his day, the penalty for doing that is possibly that your daughter would get sick. And it wasn't just, you know, if you get sick, maybe you'll have a flu and you'll have a 90 
97 to 98 percent chance of making it through fine if you're young if you're young it literally is you had a 70 percent chance of of dying and crazy who i think in a way the world okay don't take this out of context but i think in, <laughs> i think in a way we would be be better off on a psychological level if covid-19 had a 60 to 70% mortality rate because i think people would take it a lot more seriously than they are taking it right now i'm not saying that it would be better on a world scale <laughs> It's obviously would be a lot worse because more people would die and that's bad. But yeah. I think in terms of people taking it seriously and banding together and being responsible and taking responsibility for thy own self, yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, and and mm. per- perhaps COVID-19 would be a lot more deadly if we didn't have the medical and, and scientific advances that we have today. We just don't know. Um but that's what Martin Luther suggests at the very least. Take personal responsibility for yourself. And that's the message that's been repeated by many governments the world over. Um, and some people have been taking attention of that and some people haven't. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I guess it's it's trusting others to do what what is actually best for everyone. Yeah. Which uh, often we don't do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we people could be really self-centered. Yeah, um, like all people, unfortunately. And so, yeah. But if, like, could you imagine how quickly this whole thing would have just blown over if everybody was just onto it real quick and all just did what they were supposed to right away? Yep. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be night and day compared to how things are right now. Yeah. 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 Um, there is one more example that I'd love to share and it's a little bit more close to home. It's a little bit more recent. Um, 1918, the uh, Spanish influenza or just the Spanish flu swept the world after uh, World War I and, and devastated. Um, many, many more people died. I can't exactly uh, remember how many people died. I'm going to quickly look it up. But it was okay. um, an absolutely devastating devastating thing ah yeah between 17 to 50 million people died from the spanish flu around the world (laughs) wow wow brutal Brutal. so yeah um what was interesting about the spanish flu though was that the the they didn't really find a cure for it the deadly part just kind of died out interesting yeah Hmm. so it's it was very different virus to what we have now well I've heard a few people say that we are due for a Spanish flu 2.0 in the world, which is kind of terrifying mm. considering that they didn't find a vaccine for it back then. Well, yeah, it's it's difficult to explain. But yeah, it was, that was just sort of in a... Anyway, let's, let's go on. I'm not yeah. a medical professional. I'm not a voice on this. So that was just something <laughs> I read about. So, okay, yeah. let's yeah. keep going. Okay, so in case you're wondering, there is... Uh, beyond Martin Luther, you know, six, seven hundred years ago, there is actually a Christian tradition of shutting down churches and meeting halls in order to stem the tide of the disease. And remember, Spanish flu, like, okay, bubonic plague killed hundreds of millions of people. Spanish flu, 17 to 50 million people. Still a heck of a lot of people, right? So, again, 
I think that they would have taken things a lot more seriously back then than perhaps we're taking it now, the average person at least, because um, not having a vaccine and for something to spread that quickly and to kill that quickly, yeah, is, is pretty pretty unprecedented. But um, <laughs> during uh, this is what I found anyway in, a, uh, in a, an article that I found on the Washington Post that during the deadly um, epidemic of 1918, Local authorities ordered churches to close in an effort to contain the spread of the virus. Some ministers complained, but others recognised that ceasing to congregate in compliance with public health efforts was in harmony with the essence of biblical faith. When the ban against mass gatherings was finally lifted in Washington, D.C., the Reverend J. Francis Grimke reiterated to his congregation that the closure of churches was justified and that if avoiding crowds lessens the danger of being infected, it was wise to take the precautions and not needlessly run in danger and expect God to protect us. Right. So in case you missed it, right at the very end there, I think that's that's the essence of what I think I'm trying to say here uh, and the message that Christian leaders and political leaders are trying to communicate at this point in time. Closing down churches may feel like a violation of your rights if you are of a certain political persuasion. And I understand that. And I understand that disrupting something which you hold as being integral to your daily and weekly and, you know, just your life, that's painful. Mm. But in terms of in terms of avoiding danger and being wise and faith, the idea that God will protect you if you continue to meet in your church, I think is just unwise. It's it's what the scriptures would call foolish, right? Um, and a fool, according to scripture, is somebody who knows what's right and knows what's wrong and just chooses to do wrong anyway, fully mm. aware. And when it comes to having faith that God will protect you, knowing what's right and knowing what's wrong and choosing to do wrong instead and expecting God to come through and protect you while you're doing the wrong thing. It's kind of like robbing a house in broad daylight with the owners of the house at home and expecting that they won't call the police. <laughs> it's ridiculous and it's silly and it's foolish um, and you shouldn't rob a house anyway, but... It's, it's, it's that same principle. Um, in October of 2019, uh, 1918, wait, 1918, sorry, um, at the height of the, of the pandemic, um, the Methodist uh, revivalist George R. Stewart went further saying that those who spurned public health warnings were exemplifying not biblical faith, but rather sinful neglect. And that the... Well. <laughs> it's... Yeah, pretty pretty strong words. Mm. Um, he said that the fruit of ignorance, it was the fruit of ignorance and false teaching. So he actually goes as far to say that it's false teaching, that if you choose to uh, ignore uh, government uh, sort of declarations and, and rules, that you are actually going along with false teaching. Um, wow. He implored readers of the Alabama periodical Age Herald that it was inconsistent with the teachings and examples of Jesus to dismiss the natural laws of disease and health and then presumptuously expect God's miraculous protection. Um, he closes by saying this. 
Intelligent Christianity seeks to discover all of God's natural laws of disease and health and all the remedies deposited in nature for our relief, and it is the duty of every intelligent follower of Jesus Christ to both observe these laws and to teach others to observe them too. Hmm. Hmm. Well said. So, if you are the sort of person that bristles at the idea of your church shutting down and you think that if you just go to church and God is going to protect you, then in some ways you're actually going against actual biblical teaching. And when it comes to having faith that God will heal you, if you still go to church, I think it's just foolishness. And I know that probably sounds harsh and it probably is not very convincing to somebody who's convinced that, you know, just going to church and God, like that's probably not very convincing. Um, and I apologize, apologize if it's offensive. Um, but right now, we're seeing in the world, particularly in the United States, we're seeing people protesting, um, making a fool of themselves and putting other people in danger for their rights. And one of the things that I really, really resonate with is the idea that if you're a Christian, you actually don't have that much of an onus to... Um, insist on your rights as much as you think you do. Um, Paul talks about this all the time in his, in his letters to different churches. He talks about how he has all these rights and these, these privileges, but he actually doesn't act on them. He actually doesn't demand that people um, treat him as any more than a a fellow apostle. Um, He actually lays his rights down so that he might be able to reach people for the gospel and I think that's that's the call that we have to make as Christians in this day and age. Um, I've seen a lot of people, and this is a different tangent, I've seen a lot of people talk about the conspiracy theory side of, of COVID-19. And, oh, please stop. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But the idea is that, the here's the idea that, that the common thread I've seen is that governments are taking away our rights to congregate in churches. And what's next? They're going to take away our rights to meet on certain days. They're going to take away our rights to meet under certain conditions. And my answer to that is, so what? So what if the government does that? There are Christians today who have been living with that reality for decades in different Mm. parts of the world. But that doesn't stop the Church of Christ from expanding. It doesn't stop the Church of Christ from, from meeting the needs of people. It doesn't stop the Church of Christ from being the church we don't need to have all the rights and responsibilities that we currently have in order for the church to flourish. In fact, for the most part of history, especially in the first thousand years of church history, it didn't. And guess what? The church still flourished. Um, yeah. So I, I'm sorry. I've, I've been monologuing a lot. <laughs> it's all right. I was just thinking about that. Um, I don't know if you remember that story about the guy who he's... Um you know, he's he's cruising along in his boat out in deep waters, going fishing, and then something goes wrong, gets a hole in the boat, boat goes down, he has to jump overboard. And uh so he's sitting in his little his little tube and then he prays. He's like, Okay, God, uh just pray that you would rescue me, that you would that you would come down and you would pick me up. And then a cruise ship goes past and then they, they stop and they see him and they're like, Hey, do you need help? We can help you. And he's like, No, 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 it's all right, I've prayed, God will rescue me. And then the cruise ship goes. And then a coast guard comes along and they're like, Oh, hey, we've we've seen you. We'll we'll help you get back in. And he's like, It's all right, I've prayed that God will 
that God will bring me, bring me home. Like he's going to rescue me. And so the Coast Guard's like, okay, well, that's your choice then. They leave. And then eventually the guy drowns. And then Jesus comes back years later, <laughs> takes him to heaven. And then he's like, whoa, what what happened? Like, you were supposed to rescue me. You left me to drown. He's like, I sent you boats. You didn't take them. Like, and it's that same sort of principle. We get out, we get in our, in our head this idea that God's going to rescue us in one way. But like sometimes he uses much more natural ways to rescue us, like the government, like health professionals doing their jobs. You know what I mean? It's... But we get so locked into this one way of how God's going to do something. But that's boxing God. We don't do that. We can't box God. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah, that's our episode. Um, what's your motivation? You know, what's your motivation in all of this? How much are you willing to lay down your own personal um, biases and your own personal uh, interests, self-interests? in order to help your neighbor. Um, because at the end of the day, we as Christians, we are called to be people that are for people because Jesus is for people. And when it comes to keeping um, your neighbors, your, um, your, your local community safe, uh, what's your motivation? Is that your priority or is it something else? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't think it would be a bad thing if certain churches closed down during this crisis. I know that sounds really bad. I've, I've said a lot of things and I've said that's really bad in this episode. But yeah, I'll just say Jesse's thoughts in this episode are his own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here as a fellow host listening as well. <laughs> He's an innocent bystander in the torrent of controversial ideas that is my brain. Um, but I actually, think, I actually think that it would not be a bad thing if certain churches closed down, certain predatory churches and ministries that... Yeah. Okay. Look, I know that there is a, there is a side that would say, look at all the good they've done. They've helped people. Sure. That's, that's probably true of many ministries, good or bad. Nobody's perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. My church isn't perfect. The ministries that I'm involved with are not perfect. I mean, burn the haystack is not perfect. It's got Josh, then it's got me. So there you go. But um, <laughs> perfection, imperfection. Yeah. Anyway, it's I'm kidding. yin and yang. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that I think that at the end of this, it should cause many of us in the Christian world to um, think about how we use our resources and mm. the way that we steward the things that we've been given, and what are what's our motivation in this whole thing? Um, is it to build our own kingdom? Is it to build our own empire? Um, I mean, for those of us who have gone to online church, you know, I still look at my numbers of the people that have viewed my content and the people that have liked my posts and all that sort of stuff. So what's my motivation in this whole thing? I can tell you right now, it's not 100% pure because I am human and I have faults and flaws. And sometimes the motivation is not necessarily um, reaching people for Jesus. Sometimes it's reaching people for my own ego and I have to keep that in check. Um, mm. And... Uh, Who's who's to say that if I had a hundred bajillion dollars like Kenneth Copeland, that I would be any better? I don't know. Um, I don't ever want to get to that point because I don't think I would handle myself very well. But even saying that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I think um just a side point. I think this is why I am I have my wrestles, but this is one of the one of the times when I am grateful for our church structure because there's no. It makes it harder, like, as in, like, with our employment, with all the tithe being centralized to a conference, it makes it harder for us to do selfish things, like, 
like with, with money, I guess, and giving and offering yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, because it's just not even controlled by us. It's, I mean, obviously we still want to see the church continue to flourish and, um, and I understand some people aren't able to give in this season and that's, that's fine as well. Like, that's what I'm saying. There's a principle of, there's a principle of generosity and giving, but then there's also the principle of good stewardship and you've got to, you've got to walk that path. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, obviously like I want to see the church continue to flourish, but who knows? I don't know what kind of effect this is going to have on the church, but I can't, I can't stand there on my church's video mm. and be like, you need to give so that I can still have a job or something. That's just yeah, yeah not so what, even so- how it could work, you know? And I'm grateful that like our system does a lot to stop us from being like that. Sure. There are people who can, you know, people can take advantage and be, and be malicious in any system, I guess, but I, I don't know. I guess in this season, I'm really grateful for the system that we have. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, um, if you are an Adventist pastor and you are pastoring a church of 12, you'll get paid the same amount at the same level if you are pastoring a church of 12,000, let's say. So mm. that's just how our system works. You know, you don't get paid any more. You have a specific amount of money that you are paid at a certain level. And then when you move up those levels, that pay increases, much like if you're in any other organization. But the size of your church does not dictate the size of your paycheck. Um, yeah. So super grateful for that as well. Yeah. And I guess just so that it's all, it's it's like the, the pay and all that like tithe is out of my hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I love that. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, by the way, even in our system, there are people that I've met who are like, how much do pastors actually make? Like, do you get paid like a lot of money or like not much money? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's, it's, it's all out there. It's free. It's not secret information. And that's, I think, one of the other things that I'm feeling really grateful about. We don't know how much Kenneth Copeland gets paid per year. We don't know because unless he volunteers that information, he... We will never know. Um, mm. So the fact that our church has decided that this is public knowledge, everybody deserves to know. Everybody deserves to um, hold us accountable for for the way that we spend our money. Um, huge blessing. Yeah, love it. Definitely. Cool. Uh, well, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much more <laughs> as a system. <laughs> <laughs> we have many know, criticisms guess- with our system, but that is actually one thing that we are genuinely both grateful for. So, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. I think crises, in any crisis, you're always going to, the good and the bad of systems and, and things in place are always going to shine more. So, totally. totally. Yeah, it's been cool. All right. Anyway, that's enough. Do you have any any, any last thoughts you wanted to add, Jesse? Um, no, no, I think, I think I've definitely <laughs> made my point on <laughs> to, to, a, to a large degree. <laughs> you have. I mean, I've been like interested. I mean, obviously like if you can tell this episode was obviously led more by Jesse because this was a big idea and thing he had. Um, but I, I don't know, like I've been really enjoying it and I feel like I'm definitely thinking about, Hey, what is my motivation in all of this and my continued motivation when all of this is over? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, I'm excited about the discussions that will take place. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, make sure you get in contact with us about this. Um, send us an email. Um, but for all things Burn the Haystack, best place to go is burnthehaystack.org. It's got yeah. our links to our social and a way that you can contact us directly through there as well. Um, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to Burn the Haystack on whatever podcatching app that you like. We are on every podcatching app, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google sometimes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Pocket Casts. I use Pocket Casts. I love Pocket Casts. They're great. Um, so whatever Good you have. Good for you, dude. 
yeah thanks bro um so whatever <laughs> whatever you have chances are we're on there and um if you want to help us out help us to grow and to uh get more exposure so that more people can listen um leave us a rating or review on your podcatching app that would be really really appreciated hmm totally um so and remember let us know what, what's something you don't like on pizza <laughs> 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 Alright. We love you guys. Stay awesome. That is Josh and Jesse out.